0: I want you to imagine as we start that uh, you lived in a country that's ruled by a good king. And not only do you live there, you're actually a servant of this good king. And one day the the king leaves and he goes on a long journey. And he doesn't tell you when he's coming back, but he leaves instructions for you for what you need to do while he is away. Um, How would you live while the king was away? Or... Uh, Imagine if your parents have gone out of town for a a week or two on an anniversary trip and they said, no parties while we're away. Would you throw the party anyway? Some of you have maybe. Would you throw the party anyway thinking, I'll be able to get it all cleaned up before they get back. Uh, The Apostle Paul is writing to a church that's asked him questions about the resurrection, which we dealt with last week. They've asked him questions about the second coming, which is what we're looking at today. And what they wanted to know is, when is this going to happen? When is is Jesus coming back? And, you know, that's a question that people ask a lot today, too, right? There are are books, there are conferences where, you know, we get these speakers who are going to help us read the signs. And and we'll know when Jesus is going to come back. Several years ago, there was a man named... Harold Camping, who predicted that Jesus would come back in 2011, Uh, the the sad thing about that whole deal was the people who the believers who believed him. The funny thing about that was there was an an atheist in New Hampshire who started selling people pet care contracts, and he said, "If, "If if you get raptured, then I'll take care of your pet for 10 years. You just pay me $200." And it's non-refundable. Um, so, I thought that was funny. Anyway. Here's, and so we all have these questions like, when is Jesus coming back? What's interesting in this text is, Paul isn't as concerned with that as he's concerned with how we live while we wait for Jesus to come back. He wants uh, these believers and he wants us... To live with this end of history in mind. How do we live knowing that Jesus is coming back? So that's the, the question for us to, to think about today. So let's read this 1 Thessalonians 5, 1-11. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for our helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you're doing. Let's pray. Father, we are uh, thankful for... our. Your word. Uh, we are, are thankful, Lord Jesus, that you've promised to return. I uh, pray that you would help us to, to see better how to live as we uh, await your return. We ask it in your name. Amen. So, so three questions we're going to try to answer this morning. Number one, we're going to ask, when will the king return? Uh, secondly, we're going to ask, what happens when the king returns? And then finally, how should I live in light of this? knowledge of the return of the king so first when will the king return paul tells us in verse two that jesus will return unexpectedly and suddenly uh, like a thief in the night now here's the thing with thieves You don't know when a thief is going to come. They don't call the Spartanburg Police Department and say, we're going to be hitting houses in Hillbrook this weekend. You might want to send an alert out to all those people for them. That's not how thieves operate. They don't work in that way. They come unexpectedly. And Paul is saying that Jesus' return is going to be like that. You won't see it coming. Uh, Jesus himself in Mark 13 says, But concerning that day or that hour... No one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And so you hear what Jesus answer, Paul's answer to that question, when is Jesus coming back, is no one knows, only the Father knows that. And if that's the case, then you can be pretty sure that nobody else around here has a clue when Jesus is coming back. None of, none of the, the TV preachers who are trying to tell you how to read the signs, they don't know. So to watch The Office instead and, and, and tell your Aunt Sally not to send them any more money because it's, it's irrelevant. They don't, they don't know. It doesn't matter whether we're building an embassy in Jerusalem or not, but that's, that's another discussion. Like it's, it's, it's irrelevant to the return of Jesus. No one knows when he's coming back so there, there are much better things for us as believers to do with our time so that's all i'll say about that number two what happens then when the king comes back uh, the day that jesus comes back the day is that day is referred to in verse two as the day of the lord the day of the lord and that phrase, the day of the Lord, is a phrase that you hear throughout Scripture. Let me, let me hit some, some highlights for you. This is from the book of Amos. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Then Joel chapter 2. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Now one of the things that's cool as you read this, as you read Paul using this phrase, is as you can see that he's concluded that these Old Testament texts about God, about the Lord, about Yahweh are being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. That the day of Yahweh is the day of Jesus. And so if you want to, did they really believe Jesus was God? Yes, you see it very plainly right there. That the day of Jesus is the day of the Lord. You can also see from these texts, well, what is this day of the Lord? It's the day that, that God comes in final judgment on those who are unrepentant but it will also be a day of salvation for those who have found refuge in jesus christ so so what does that have to do with us a couple of thoughts on the one hand this this text serves as a reminder to us as a warning to us Uh, verse three tells us that while people are saying peace and security everything's okay everything's going to be okay are as Jesus says it will be like the days of Noah when people are eating and drinking and getting married, getting married and st- carrying on like usual. Go back to verse 3 says, Peace and security at that point, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. When Susan was pregnant with Jack, um, we, we were living in Boone. We, we were trying to finish the basement in our house and before he was born and we were down to painting the basement walls and we had some we had college students helping us out and one of them worked in blowing rock which is about 20 minutes from our house and susan took her home she I mean, didn't take she live there she worked there she worked in blowing rock and so susan was running her to work it took about 20 minutes and we hadn't eaten supper yet and i wanted some barbecue from woodlands which is a great barbecue and it was in blowing rock and he said sure i'll stop at woodlands and pick you up some barbecue so she goes she's gone for a while comes back walks in the front door with my barbecue sandwich and immediately says we've got to go to the hospital now because labor comes quickly and suddenly especially on the third child so we walked into the hospital i'm still eating my barbecue sandwich it's like i'm not giving this up Uh, and 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 jack was born within an hour of us getting to the hospital now, it turns out she had actually started having contractions while she was painting but wanted to get finished with everything. And those of you who know my wife understand this. Um, but, but labor can come quickly and suddenly. You don't have time to do all this stuff. When, when Jesus comes, you won't have time to run, take somebody home, and get a barbecue. No, you won't have time for any of that because it will be quickly and it will be now and it will be upon us. And so there's a there's a warning in this, and it's this: we never want anybody to, to profess to believe something that you don't actually believe. All right, we're not trying to coerce conversions after anybody, out of anybody, or manipulate people emotionally. We want to give you space to process. But on the other hand, there's a warning: this you can't just sit around and say life is good. I got plenty of time to figure out this. Jesus stuff. I can, I can always figure this out later. There will be time for me to decide whether I want to trust in Jesus later. The, the call is to trust in Jesus today. Today. Um, and, and I want to say here as well, there's a, a, there's a couple of ways we can miss our need for Jesus. All right. There's, there's a, there a couple of things that, that stop us from seeing that we actually need Jesus. One is, is the route of hedonism where we just go our own way and do our own thing uh, and say, I don't, I don't really need this Jesus stuff. I'm fine doing my own thing. Uh, the other way is through moralism, living what you think is a good life. And both of these ways, the way of, of, of immorality and the way of morality, are both ways that cause us to miss our desperate need for Jesus. Uh, For those of you who are watching Better Call Saul, you know that this is really the story of two brothers. There's an older brother named Chuck. There's a younger brother named Jimmy. Uh, Chuck is the genius. He's the good guy. He's the attorney's attorney. He's the guy that's always been successful. Jimmy is the younger brother who's always looked up to his older brother. He's always craved his approval, but he's a con artist, and he's a shyster, and he's Immoral. So Chuck will never give Jimmy his approval, but it turns out that Chuck is broken as well, that he's desperate for the approval of parents that he's never received. Uh, There's a scene at the end of the second season where their mom is in the hospital and she's dying, and both of the brothers are in there, and Jimmy's kind of like, non-phased by the whole thing and doesn't realize how serious it is and he just goes off to get some pizza and while chuck is there by himself the mom who's been just asleep forever suddenly wakes up and she starts talking and chuck trying to ask her questions and she keeps asking for jimmy he's like no I'm, i'm here this is chuck she says no where is jimmy and then she dies and jimmy comes back into the room and found out he, she's died. He says, "Well, did she say anything before she died?" And Chuck is just tears. He says, "No, she didn't say, she didn't say anything." And so you have these two brothers: one who's trying to find life through breaking the rules, the other who's trying to find life through keeping the rules, and they're both broken. It sounds a lot like a story Jesus told in the story of the the prodigal sons, where the younger brother wrote, goes off into the far country, saying, "I'm going to find life through." doing my own thing and breaking the rules and the older brother says i'm going to stay right here at home and i'm going to keep the rules but the older brother never understands the grace and the love of his father the younger brother finally comes home and understands his father's love the older brother as far as we can tell continues to miss it i i say this and i kind of elaborate this because we're in the south and We're churched and we understand what younger brothers look like and we understand the the danger in that. We can see that they are separated from God by their sin. But do we see that our own rule keeping, that our own morality can also keep us from seeing our desperate need for Christ? And so the, the encouragement is this is don't let your goodness or your religion or your community mindedness keep you from seeing your need for Christ. Don't think everything is fine. Peace and security because you feel so good about yourself. A uh, second point of application here, on the one hand, there are those who need to be warned, cautioned. Uh, on the other hand, there are those who need to be reminded of who they are in Christ. Uh, verse five, Paul says, for you are all children of the light, writing this church in Thessalonica. Verse 9, skip down to verse 9, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. And so to, to those who have demonstrated faith and hope and love, who have professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's shown itself paul says you're not destined for wrath jesus died for you this day of wrath is not going to be a day of wrath for you it's going to be a day of salvation it's going to be a day of rejoicing Uh, i i heard the story this week of a a woman who went to her pastor uh, and she said i I need to tell you something that's been, been eating on me for years when my husband and I were engaged, I actually cheated on him, and I've never told him. And the, the pastor said, you've got to tell him. And so she's like, oh, yeah, I, I really do. I've got to tell him. And so she, she's trying to figure out how to do this, and she made, a, she made a nice meal, and they sat down and they ate the meal, and then she confessed her sin to her husband, and he nodded, and then he got up, and he walked out of the room, and he got in his car and left. And uh, the woman was just devastated. She's like, I knew knew this is what was going to happen when I told him this. But then the husband drove back up and he came into the house and he had a, a white box. And he took her into the bedroom and he told her to open the box. And in the box was this white bathrobe. And he said to her, I want you to put this on every time you come into our bedroom because I want you to know that you are clothed in the righteousness and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And if that's how Jesus relates to you, that's how I'm going to relate to you as well. I forgive you and I love you. Believer in Jesus Christ, this this gospel story, knowing that Jesus died for us and has given himself for us, should radically change us. Should give us this this great confidence that God loves us. But we struggle with that, right? We struggle believing that we hear that, but we're saying, I don't you yeah, maybe that's true for somebody else, but you don't know how big my sin is. And we we wrestle, we believe the gospel, but there's this unbelief as well. Could this really be true for me? And so the encouragement of this is to believe this now, but to know in the midst of our struggle to believe that there's going to be a day that what we, what we hear by faith now, there's going to be a day when we hear that audibly. When our, when our faith turns into sight. When we see Jesus. When we hear those words that we just hear by faith now. When we hear Him say to us, when we, see God say, when we hear God say to us, your sins are forgiven. My son died for you. You are clothed in the robes of his righteousness. Welcome to my kingdom. And so Paul encourages us to remember who we are in Christ and to look forward to that day when what we hold on to by faith now, we will see and we will sense and and, and we will hear that final verdict of not guilty. Well... We talked about when Jesus is coming. We don't know. Uh, we talked about what that, that day of his coming, some of what that will be like. Uh, so now finally, how should I live in light of the second coming of Jesus? How should I live in light of the second coming? Paul says, if you're children of the light, then you should live like children of the light. We should we should live like who we are if we've moved from darkness into light then we should live in a way that befits those who live in light and not in darkness so there's a couple things i think we ought to take from this one this means that we don't live um, with a sense of presuming on god's grace we're confident in god's grace but we don't presume on god's grace We don't use God's grace as a way to live in unrighteous ways. Uh, And so we don't live presumptively, I think maybe that's a word, but we live with with soberness, our self-control. And Paul says to be soberly and to be alert or awake. So self-controlled and alert and awake. Uh, There was a a Navy accident not too long ago uh, where there was a a great deal of, of loss of life where two ships Collided, and when they were investigating, you know what, what exactly went wrong here. They they found that the the final fail safe that you think would have present, prevented this accident, the human person standing and keeping watch. Well, why didn't he see they were about to run into a boat? It was because he was asleep. And the whole the whole thing I was was about sleep deprivation in the Navy. But this guy was asleep. Uh, the old phrase we would use for that is the railroading term. He was asleep at the switch, and so he wasn't alert to the disaster. was about to strike and so paul calls us to be alert and awake and not to be lackadaisical about our walk with jesus jesus says the same thing this is from mark 13 be on guard keep awake for you do not know when the time will come it is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all stay awake. Stay awake, and do the work that you've been called to do while the master is away. Well, what are we supposed to be doing while the master's away? Well, listen to Jesus, Matthew 25. Again, speaking of this last day. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and and did not minister to you? Then He will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to Me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And so we are to be sober and alert. And that includes examining ourselves Uh, Paul in 2nd Corinthians examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith, test yourselves Hebrews warns us against the danger of drifting away I think that's probably one of the biggest dangers is not that we just walk out one morning and just say I'm not going to be a Christian anymore it's to to slowly drift away and so we are to be sober self-controlled awake, alert not presuming on God's grace, not, not assuming that we can live as children of the darkness and then at the end of the day receive the welcome of the children of the light. But then secondly, uh, he calls us in light of the second coming, be alert, be sober, but then he calls us to live lives of faith and hope and love. Uh, you know, if you think about that, we're all putting our faith in something. We're all setting our hope on something. Uh, as someone or something is the supreme object of our affections even right now. We put our faith in stories about why we're here and what's wrong with the world and how we can fix it and what our purpose is. And whether you're, a, you're an atheist or an agnostic or a member of an organized religion, you're putting your faith in some story about the nature of reality we, we hook ourselves up to the story and we hook ourselves up to the gods connected to that story like a patient in a hospital is connected to an iv bag and we try to draw life from that one of the stories we we all struggle with trying to try and draw life from is, is the story of the american dream if i can just get this then everything's going to be okay we set our hope on things that we think will deliver us from the futility of life in a broken world, the approval and the acceptance of other people, the right college experience, the right class ranking, the right job when we get out, the right the right home, the right car, the right size family. If I have that. We give our love to the things we put our faith and hope in. And yet... Jesus says no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other or you'll hold the one and despise the other. He says you can't serve God and money. You can't serve two things at once. And so Paul's call to the Thessalonians and to us is to continue in that faith and hope and love with which we begin the Christian life. It's a call to continue to direct our faith and hope and love not to the things of this world not to the stories that this world offers us but to direct our faith and hope and love toward Jesus Christ so we're to lead sober lives watchful lives lives of faith in Jesus and hope in Jesus and love for Jesus as we wait for Jesus to return I I don't know about all the rest of y'all I imagine a lot of you are like this but Whenever we're having some gathering or event at our house, there's like a mad dash the last three hours before people show up to try to clean up the mess. We should have cleaned up. Anybody else do this? Are we the only ones? All right. Those of you who don't do this, we all hate you. Um, I'm just kidding. We don't. We look up to you. Um, But there's this this mad dash to get it all done, scrambling to get everything done. We're not going to have that opportunity when Jesus comes back. There's going to be no opportunity to madly get everything in order, to get our spiritual house in order. So why not, to go, why not go home today? And don't worry about your house, but make sure your heart is ready for the king to come back. Uh, the, I'll close with this. A story is told of, of John Wesley. and Somebody asked him, how would you spend tomorrow... If you knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow night. And Wesley pulled out his, his Google calendar, his daytime, whatever he was looking at there with his schedule on it. And he looked, at his, he looked at his schedule for a minute and he thought and he said, These are the things I'd do tomorrow if I knew Jesus was coming back tomorrow night. Because he looked at his life and he's like, my, my, I'm ordering the life. I want my life to be ordered in light of the turn of the King." Can we say that about our lives? How great would that be if we were all able to say that about our lives? Let me pray for us. Father, help us to live soberly and watchfully. Help us also to live lives of faith and hope and love for the one who died for us that we might live for him we pray in his name amen